Travis and I'm with Kyle with Korean Adoptee Stories. We are here for another Real Adoptees Weekly Talk with Sean Lang. This is the first chance we had an opportunity to speak to a half Korean. He's half white and half Korean. This is also known as a hapa. Why don't you introduce yourself, Sean? Okay. Um, my name is Sean Lang. I um, adopted at age three uh, from Wijambu, South Korea. I was adopted by uh, Caucasian parents uh, in Minnesota, southern Minnesota, small town. Uh, my father was a Lutheran minister, and I was adopted through Lutheran Social Services. Um, I have, uh, for the most part, probably associated myself more on the Caucasian side, just because that's what I grew up with. That's what I was most familiar with. And being Korean really was just kind of some neat little tidbit about me that I would talk to people about. As I'm sure most of us experienced, um, we are kind of a, a great conversation piece, if you will. Um, this, you know, this Asian person that we adopted is what our, my parents would always say. Oh, yeah, we adopted him from Korea. Um, I was written up in the newspaper when I first came, all that kind of stuff. Little celebrity status, I guess. Um, but, yeah. So, um, I'm 52 years old. Uh, so, I'm a little bit older, I think, than most of the people that I've known uh, in the different groups that I've joined on Facebook. Can you tell us a little bit about your birth family? Yeah, my adopted parents adopted four children. Um, I have an, well, he's deceased, but I know the brother who was uh, full Native American. And then my younger brother was half um, Sioux Indian, uh, Native American. And then I have a sister who's Norwegian and Swedish, uh, about as white as you can get. And then they adopted four children because they were told that my mom would never be able to have kids. And then just before my father was diagnosed with cancer, um, she got pregnant, and so she has one biological child, my youngest sister. How old were you when your father passed away? I was 10 years old. He, um, he got sick when I was eight. Um, he uh, fought it for about 15 months and then passed away when I was 10. Was it uh, difficult for you when your uh, father passed away? You know, as a 10-year-old child who... Um, you know, I was adopted at age three, so, you know, seven years, and he really was only a, a solid figure, if you will, for about five years of my life. So I don't really have a strong, like, effect at that point, but I think the effect has been later on, um, more from the lack of a father image or a, a role model, if you will, especially as I started to have kids. Um, so there was probably more trauma, if you will, later on in life. At the time, I don't think I fully understood death, um, just that he wasn't around anymore. <laughs> and he was very sick up until the point that he passed. So you mentioned your mother was abusive. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, my, my mother, um, being uh, left with, four, with five children, um, didn't have the best coping mechanisms, um, and she tended to uh, use abuse, whether it's physical, verbal, um, emotional, whatever, all the whole gamut. Um, it was it was a tough it was tough growing up after my father passed, um, especially as I was going through my more formative years. Um, the identity part was difficult in and of itself as a teenager, but with added stresses that my mother imposed on me, um, it was, it was very difficult. Didn't have any association as far as my Korean heritage or knowledge. Um, I do have memories of. Um, when I was younger, about five, six years old, and I have extra pictures of my mom bringing a Korean woman around. Um, the story goes that when I first met her, I walked up to her and I slapped her in the face <laughs> at about six years. I, I don't know if that's true. I don't remember that, but I do remember this lady and I didn't have, didn't want to have anything to do with her. Uh, I don't know why I just didn't. Um, but then <laughs> probably the more interesting um, Korean effect, if you will, was when I was in fifth grade. We had a Korean foreign exchange student come to our school. <laughs> you got to love teachers. Um, they had her sit next to me because they knew I was half Korean. Did you actually like the Korean girl in class? No, I thought to myself, why the f*** you give her next to me? Oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I, no, I mean, I, even as like, what was that, like 10 years old? Eight, yeah, I think it was like 10 years old. I mean, I didn't speak any Korean. I mean, they didn't even ask me if I spoke Korean. And um, they just popped her next to me. Like, here, she's Korean. You're Korean. 
I'm like, what did that got to do with it? Like, I mean, I remember in my mind thinking, this is the most ridiculous thing in the whole world. I can't speak to this lady or this kid. I mean, I don't know anything about her or anything about Korean. Um, so yeah, I just got to suffer through that. Um, I she's a nice enough kid, but you know, no, I did not want to date her. I, I didn't like I didn't like Asian dead. <laughs> so what was it like growing up for you? Were you shy or outgoing? Yeah, I mean, I um I don't know that it uh, I. I've never been an aggressive person. Uh, I've never been physically aggressive. Um, I've had my issues later on in life with more um, dealing with anger. But I, I think more of the effects were that I withdrew. Uh, although I was very social, um, and I would you know, go to birthday parties, and you know, I'd have fun and everything. Everybody would, oh, Sean, it's fun. Um, but I never had any close relationships. I never had any, uh, like, a best friend or anything like that. I had people that knew me, and I knew them. Um, but never really had a, a close bond with, uh, with anybody. Do you have issues with abandonment, uh, with your adoption? Yeah, I think the, the issues of, of people leaving me, um, has been something that I dealt with earlier on in, in my life. Um, you know, first, of course, not really remembering it, but the, the abandonment of being adopted. I mean, the, you know, look at my picture from my, uh, my, my passport when I came and the look in my eyes is of absolute fear. And if you think of a three-year-old child who's been with their mother and grandmother and family and then is put into an orphanage and then put on a big plane and sent overseas and being picked up by these people, you have no idea who they are. You can't understand a word they're saying. Um, that has had to have left some trauma. Then, of course, my father passing away at age 10, there's another person, a very important figure in my life that left. And of course, then the inability to really be close to my mother due to the abuse issues. Do you have birth family records, and can you explain what it said? Yeah, so I have the um, I have copies of the adoption report from um, KSS Korean Social Services um, and the assessments that they did based on my um, my health and my physical appearance, my interaction. Uh, interesting enough, they do have my mother's name was listed there and her description. And then my father is identified as a, a US soldier. But on my copy, and you can see an outline where they literally covered up his name with a piece of paper when they made the copy. So I had my mother's name pretty much my whole life, and but never had my father's name. So and the thought of trying to search was always there, but you know, where do you start? You know, who knows? I had no idea where to start. I tried reaching out to Lutheran Social Services and it didn't get me anywhere because I already had the paperwork. There was nothing more they said that they could provide me. So, interestingly enough, and we talked about it a little bit earlier, but well, fast forward, my first wife was first generation Korean immigrant. So, she spoke fluent Korean. So, she assisted me and we called the orphanage. Uh, and she was able to clarify my mother's name that was listed on the paperwork and was able to obtain my father's name. So that sat for many years because again, where do I go with this? I don't even know where to start. Fast forward to two years ago, three years ago, um, my oldest daughter who is now 25 uh, came to me and had done the 23andMe DNA test. And she knew and had always been trying to encourage me to continue my search for my biological family. So I took the test and sorry. Within about two weeks, I connected with uh, a second cousin who her mother is my cousin. We share a grandmother. The emotions that you have right now seem very real. Can you explain more about what you're feeling right now? It seems that you're going through a lot right now. Yeah, I mean, it, it was closure. I think, I think the emotions right at this moment are, you know, going through most of my life, not feeling connected, not really a part 
It was the first time. I didn't even know these people, but I felt part of them. I still keep in contact with my the second cousin that I initially got uh, connected with. Um, she lives in Hawaii, and um, we speak every once in a while. Uh, definitely interact on Facebook quite a bit. Um, I did get a chance to speak. Excuse me. I'm sorry about that, guys. I thought I was going to be able to control that a little bit better. Um, so can you tell us a little bit more about the DNA test, just to clarify things? After the, D the DNA test, I connected with a second cousin. Um, she uh, lives in Hawaii. And her mother is my first cousin. Yeah. You have all... <laughs> Wait, guys, I got so... <laughs> You're going to be blown away in a little bit. Um, so I actually got to speak with uh, my cousin, the f my first cousin, uh, the mother of the person I connected with first from the DNA test. She didn't speak very much English, but she did speak enough. But from the conversations, I've got a lot of information in regards to the family dynamics. Unfortunately, my cousin and second cousin, that side of the family lost touch and communication with my biological mother's part of the family. So if you look at a family tree, the cousin and I share a grandmother, which we have different parents, but they're connected to the grandma. So the two sides don't speak or weren't speaking. I did find out that my biological mother had a number of brothers and other, uh, I don't remember about a sister. And they, um, because they lost contact many, many years ago, the only information they had on my mother is that she did end up immigrating to the United States a couple of years after I did. Um, she did have two more children, and but she passed away uh, right around the same time that uh, my adopted father passed away in the late 70s, early 80s. Did you find closure with your biological mother? You know, I think part of me always already knew because I didn't really have, uh, I mean, of course I wanted to see, wanted to find her, but there was, it's not like, how, like I said, I, I won't, it wasn't just, it wasn't a shock to me when they told me she had passed away. I was like, yeah, I, I get that. That was closure. That was some amazing closure for me because it was confirmation of something I'd always felt. And that kind of tail end of that, that kind of, that part kind of tailed off because um, I, there really wasn't much more to pursue in that case because given that she had given me up for adoption, I highly doubted that connecting with her brothers or any other siblings that she had uh, or or any part of that family wasn't really going to bring me any any more benefit than what I was already getting. So what happened with your biological father? Well, according to the adoption paperwork, my mother and father had a 15-month common-law marriage. So they were formally married. She was anticipating coming to the United States, but something occurred and he had to leave. So I don't know um, you know, one of the common things we used to talk about when I, I talked about that group, Matt, we would talk about the, um, the the fantasies that we would bring up in our minds as to why we were given up and what occurred. So, you know, many times you hear stories of, you know, my parents were super rich and I'm going to inherit all this money someday or something like that. You know, because my father was a U.S. soldier, I always said to everybody, he must have been called away to Vietnam. Because that was in 1968, the heart of the Vietnam War. Um, I was adopted in 1971, which was right near the the Vietnam War was starting to wind down a little bit. Um, so that was what I always said. It's kind of weird that you can't locate your dad because it's strange. Since he's in the military and American, you'd think that'd be pretty easy to find him, don't you think? Yeah, he's American. Um, I, I've i had, I've run into uh, so many obstacles trying to find him. And it's, it's odd because as a U.S. soldier stationed in Korea in 1968, I have his name, I have his birth date, I have his rank. I've even had a search angel try to help me and she can't locate him. Now that is very, very peculiar to me. Well, milita military records are public records. In fact, you can search military records online to a certain point. But I have searched, I mean, I, I used to spend hours searching through the uh, military databases and it, it, 
I mean, think about narrowing it down. It's not just somebody in the army. It's somebody stationed in Korea in 1968 near Wizambu, which is there's one base, Red Hill Base. Um, it's now closed. Um, but he was a sergeant. I have his name and I have his birthday. Come on, right? So the search angel thinks that that information was not accurate and it was false information. And my mother's name, interestingly enough, that she put on the paperwork is actually her brother's name. So it isn't it isn't really her name. So I don't and I haven't had any communication with them as far as what her real name is. Okay, so now uh, for another topic, uh, did you identify yourself as Caucasian or Asian? So yeah, growing up, I mean, in Minnesota, which back in the seventies, eighties, um, pretty pretty white, pretty Caucasian. Um, elementary school, high school, um, I was one of maybe a handful of um, non-white um minority kids i guess but because i didn't really think of myself as asian as korean um you know i fit in just fine in my mind i mean i was white when i looked at myself in the mirror i was white in the way i acted i was white in the food i ate everything um and i really had no identity with any of the korean culture aspects whether it was food or anything i mean it just wasn't much around that time um as it is from what i understand and i go back home every once in a while um, there's quite a large contingent of Korean communities and um, other Asian uh, areas, just similar to what it is out here in LA. That wasn't there back in the, you know, back when I was growing up. It was, you know, I grew up on eating lutefisk um, and lefsa and uh, uh, German sausage. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, even in, it wasn't until college uh, when I first identified myself as Asian on the college application and was put in a minority advising group. Um, and my first day of college orientation, walking into an auditorium filled with Asians and basically thinking I was in the wrong place. Um, I forgot I'd put Asian on my uh, application. So uh, I was walking away when someone came up to me and like, are you looking for the uh, minority advising orientation? I'm like, yeah, I guess. And she goes, yeah, you're in the right place over here. So walk back into the auditorium, looking around going, I have never seen as many Asians in my whole life. How come you felt disconnected when you were a child? Yeah, I, I, I guess I always, I, I never always felt a little different. Um, and the way kids tease each other normally was whatever it was, but there was a little more to it sometimes. Um, remember in kindergarten, and I'm sure we've all heard this one, uh, this little boy Jeff, and I remember his name because I'll never ever forget his name. But every day he'd greet me with Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, what are these? And that, I mean, didn't understand it really, but I knew it was something. And uh, so there was always that little hesitation to, you know, I don't know, admit I was Asian, tried to kind of maybe fight it a little bit. Um, and plus, I, you know, as a, as a small child, I looked Asian. But growing up, um, and as you can see, I, I, most people wouldn't guess that I was Korean. In fact, very few people have ever guessed I'm Asian. What do you identify as yourself now? Yeah, I guess the whole the, um, identity thing was, I don't know that I even have yet to really solidify what that identity is. The more I, I interact with the groups on Facebook, the Adopted Korean groups, is, is where I've really found a, a lot more meaningful connections and more meaningful conversations. Um, this really hasn't been a topic that I've discussed most of my life. Uh, it's come up occasionally, but not... Not until recently, not after, not until after the DNA test. So to get our viewers uh, back on track, can you actually tell us a little bit about your relationships? I know you're the one who actually reached out to me because you saw one of my uh, posts about relationships and the effects of relationships uh, based on your adoption. Uh, so you mentioned you married a Korean woman. And it's kind of interesting. You said that marrying a Korean woman wasn't enough to make you realize that you were Korean, that you couldn't identify as Korean. Can you explain more about that and your marriage, if you could? I mean, at first, yeah. I mean, there was, um, I mean, who knows what love actually is or whatever, but, you know, I fell in love. Um, she was Korean. To me, she was, it was like, um, I think there was a comfort. Unfortunately, that relationship was very tumultuous for other reasons. Um, but in a way, it almost flipped. It flipped in two ways. One, I started to identify Asian, Korean, but I didn't really fit in there either, even with her family, although they were very welcoming and they're very accommodating. 
Um, most of them didn't speak English very well, so it was hard to communicate. Um, and <laughs> family events was always interesting. I would end up at the kids' table talking with the kids because <laughs> I didn't speak Korean. They, they spoke English, so I sat with the kids. I think having not, because I never dealt with any of the issues growing up, whether it was abuse from my mother or whether it was the death of my father or whether it was uh, the adoption issues, it was almost as if I was just kind of floating along and she gave me kind of an anchor to a point, but that anchor wasn't solid. And it also had its own um, uh, pretty serious issues when it came to just um, relationship-wise, being able to communicate, being able to interact. I mean, all the, all the things that are difficult in a marriage were dramatically magnified, I think, because of the issues that I brought to the table. Um, and, of course, she had her issues as well. I mean, it's never just one-sided. But, um, you know, we did have two children. And um, we are, we are, we do communicate still, um, not on a regular basis, but we are cordial with each other. And we have been for many years. Um, our son is uh, 29 and our daughter is 25. So we, we've had many years to get past a lot of that. Stuff. So I know divorce is hard for me uh, thinking about it as an adoptee. And I'm certainly glad I never had to go through it. I'm kind of curious, uh, since you're an adoptee and you mentioned you were divorced, was it really hard for you to deal with? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, for most of the years, I think so. Um, you know, it, it's really interesting. The more I've gone to deal with all this adoption stuff, um, abandonment stuff, whatever it might be, uh, it's actually made it more difficult on the relationships with my two oldest children. Can you tell us a little bit about your children? How do they identify themselves as Korean, white, both? Can you explain? They're actually, uh, they're three quarters Korean. Yeah, they're, no, actually, uh, my daughter actually speaks Korean, um, not fluently, but she communicates because their grandma and grandpa and some of the relatives still don't speak English, so they, uh, they don't communicate. My son can understand Korean very well. I think they identify Korean very well. Um, there's no real... Like not not like what I was doing when I was growing up. Um, that, I think it's because their mother is very still involved with them too. So in fact, my son and his wife live with their mom, which is mom and grandma. And and Hominy lives there too. So of course, Hominy's always been a great uh, uh, influencer when it comes to Korean food. Anyways, <laughs> so how long were you guys married? We were married for six years. Were you close? Well, I used to joke, uh, we were probably living apart more more than we lived together during those six years. So we had a lot, lot of separation, um, a lot of uh, heated discussions. You know, it, some of it was just basic marriage stuff, you know. But I do, I, looking back now, I see where there was a lot of um, added stuff put on those arguments because of issues I didn't deal with. I haven't dealt with. Was a divorce difficult to handle? No, well, kept it together. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, we could have a long discussion about how uh, being adopted and, and all all stuff affects relationship. Um, and for me, really, it, it how much of it is really the adoption side of it, and how much was it the uh, growing up uh, in the abusive environment that I was in too. So, um, actually, the the divorce was <laughs> was interesting because I was actually had already started dating my next wife um, while we were going through the divorce process. So um, I ended up, I had custody of our two children. Um, I had full physical custody due to some other issues that uh, she had. You mentioned that you had custody of your children. Uh, usually that's not common with uh, fathers and, and males. Uh, can you explain how that happened? Yeah. Well, yeah, and she had issues when um, we had been separated and as we were going through the divorce um, where she had uh, child protective services and had to get involved when she had, like my son, for example, he wandered off uh, during the middle of the night one night and they found him on one of, near one of the um, hospitals, probably about six blocks from the house. Um, so that, of course, prompted child protective services. So she had that mark against her and he was in her custody when uh, that happened. And then she had another situation with our daughter um, shortly thereafter. So when we got to the courthouse court hearing, you know, it, it was a slam dunk. There was no way they were going to give her custody of the kids. 
Um, so I had, plus she had dropped them off at one point to me and said, they're yours, you know, and walked away. So I'm, I'm fortunate that that happened because, yes, many times guys have to fight, fathers have to fight, even for the visitation sometimes. Um, and I was able to have them full time. Um, and it, we were able to work it out throughout most of their years. Um, we never, fortunately, never went back to court. We went to court once. Well, twice. First, the original hearing, and then, of course, when we submitted the, the agreement. Court accepted the agreement, and we've never been back to court. We've worked it out between the two of us, um, whatever issues may have come up since. So, I will tell you, there was a celebration when my daughter turned 18. <laughs> so, it actually seems like you got a pretty good head on your shoulders, and you seem like a good dad. Can you tell us a little bit about your reasons on how you actually raise your children? Um, I, I speak, I speak my son once, uh, but I mean, you know, you either become like your parents or you are trying very hard not to be like your parents as far as their parenting. And I went the route of, I did, was not going to repeat what I experienced with my mom. Um, and there was a moment before I moved out here to California, um, my son was one years old and his mom and I actually considered giving him up for adoption. Now, if that doesn't mess with your head, being an adoptee, the fact that I even had that discussion to this day, I'm, I'm embarrassed about because of the issues I've had. And obviously, we didn't go through with it. I couldn't do it. There was no way I was going to be able to grow, have my son grow up in close proximity to me and not know what was going on, not be part of his life, knowing what I had experienced, not only from being adopted, but from my adoptive father passing away. So that's how I ended up in California. Um, the only way I was going to keep contact with my son was to follow his mom to California. So we tried to make a go of it again. Um, we stayed together long enough to have another child, but obviously it didn't last. So I don't regret that decision. Um, I am involved in my children's lives. And I think the guiding principle that I've always had is I want my children to know they can talk to me discuss things with me to talk about anything they need to um it's tough sometimes to hear those conversations but and that means you have to be involved in their lives so letting them go in any way shape or form was not something i was ever going to do so i know a lot of cads or a few cads that have a troubling life they tend to self-destruct they got into drugs uh, sometimes crime and other uh, uh self-destructive tendencies but it seems like you have not gotten in trouble with the law or did you get into to drugs at all? Can you explain more? You know, amazingly, I didn't. And I think maybe that's because I never got associated with people enough to get in trouble. Um, or it, I don't know, call it fate, fortune, I don't know. I mean, when I was in college, I actually worked in drug and alcohol rehab for three years. And it was during, uh, from age 19 to 21. And I was caught, <laughs> I was caught right when they changed the drinking age to 21. So all my friends, <laughs> or most of my friends had already turned 18 before January 1 when the new law took effect. So they got grandfathered in. I turned 18 the year the law changed in March. So I didn't get grandfathered in. So maybe that helped a little bit too. I mean, it's just real odd things like that throughout my life where it's like, uh, right place, right time kind of things. Uh, but not to say that I didn't have issues. Um, you know, I've had my period of drinking a lot, but it was more in my adult years. Um, and I've had my other issues, but that's really been more, uh, believe it or not, recently in the last few years. Um, and I do have to go back and say, you know what? I think a lot of the issues I deal with, the emotions that are starting to come out constantly uh, it started after the DNA test came back and all that started to open up things that I had been able to sufficiently push down and keep from affecting me. And it, it's not, it, it opened up Pandora's Pandora's box flew wide open for me. So you seem to be very new to the adoption process. Has abandonment come up uh, at all as you dealt with your relationships? I'm in a better place now where this is happening and i'm having these conversations and i'm i mean just the fact that i'm having discussion with you guys 
If you would have asked me five years ago if I would have done this, I would have told you you're crazy. There was no need for it. There was, why would I want to do this? Um, I thought I was fine, you know. But what I was really is uh, ignoring and denying. And it's it, it, it's been a problem. It's been a problem in all my relationships, even with my children to a degree. Um, when you're not honest, when you're not yourself, when you're not real, people know it. People feel it. Um, so, yeah. Have you ever thought about traveling back to Korea? No. I, I, no. No. Um, is that actually something that you'd want to do is going to Korea? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm hesitating because I thought of all this stuff. Um, I have so much time on my hands to think, and sometimes I think too much. But yeah, I want to go to Korea eventually. Um, I I don't know what it would do for me, though. You know what I mean? You know, I really couldn't tell you. I I, I want to, but I, I guess what I've been doing is I've been looking at different ways to go, you know, like with a tour group, um, with by myself or, you know, take that adventure, whatever. So here's a question for you. Would you ever consider going with your kids or would you travel alone? Because I know there's some Korean adoptees that uh, think that it's a personal journey and no one should be involved, including not bringing their family or their, their uh, significant others. Or do you think you would actually want to bring your kids along? Wow. God, you guys, I have... I'm embarrassed. I never even thought about bringing my kids with me. I mean, it's um, been interesting just sharing the, re the recent journey that I've been on. And when I say recent, guys, I'm literally talking to you last year, uh, is, you know, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting, um, I'm not in a position financially or uh, otherwise to right now. So it, it's kind of a decision already made at this point. But future-wise, um, yeah, if I can get it done before I, you know, pass on. Um, but I do think it would be a personal journey. Been interacting with the CAD community at all. Have you come across them? You know, um, <laughs> sometimes you wonder how much you should um, actually uh, take on in your life. But um, along with reaching out with you guys, um, no, I've joined a couple of the Korean adopting groups. And I think you guys had put a question out there about um, how has being adopted affected your dating life. And I thought, wow, you guys need to hear about mine. <laughs> so how old were you when you got married to your uh, first wife? I was 29. Uh, we got married um, in 99, so 22 years. Wow, that actually is a pretty long time, actually. Uh, how were you guys able to make it work for so long? <laughs> wow, you gotta get to it, huh? Um, yeah, so most of our marriage, I was in business working a job that I traveled extensively throughout the United States. Um, as I worked my way up the corporate ladder, uh, I would gone for sometimes a day or two here and there but eventually i'd be like go to new york i'd be there for two weeks straight um i was in atlanta on 9 11 had been there for a few days and was going to be there for another week for training or i was conducting training um so it was it was almost like a honeymoon every time i came back home so with your job it actually seems like you guys were more separated than together oh it's freaking awesome i mean for many many reasons it's one i won't tell this recording but anyways um but what it did again, and guys, I've been good at this my whole life, is I didn't have to deal with anything. I didn't have to get into the nitty-gritty of life because I was on the next trip already. And I was providing for my family. I was making good money. I was, you know, I was I was caught up in that whole I'm a good father because I'm providing for my family and realizing And do you think you were actually a good father back then? In fact, you know, you guys made a comment earlier about uh, being a good father and everything. And, and I, I think from appearances back then, yeah, I was an incredible father. Uh, what I've come to learn is not so much. Uh, my children telling me it, 
<laughs> what do your children think looking back on that? Again, remember my premise or my whole uh, parenting philosophy is based around communication. And they recently, we have had really good conversations about what wasn't good. And it's been hard to take. I think it triggered them more than it triggered me, my two oldest ones. Are you and your children close at all then? Well, because I am. I mean, I would ask them for, like, I would be like, look, you guys, we're close. We've been close. I think we'll always be close. I don't have any issues with that. But, but, I, but I also know that you guys are hurting. I see it in your relationship. I see it in the way you handle things. Let's talk about what's going on, you know. Um, I did have an event <laughs> that um, it's been four and a half years ago um, where I actually ended up arrested for domestic violence. Oh, wow. So you actually got arrested. I didn't know that. Can you actually tell us a little bit more about uh, the arrest and why that happened? Yeah. I, I did make the comment earlier that um, through my growing up years, no. It wasn't until later on. But this situation, again, all my situations are just uh, just so odd um, because I didn't actually physically abuse her. Um, we did have an altercation. Uh, the police were called. Uh, for some reason, they arrested me. She had no marks on her. I had not struck her. I had not done anything other than to push her off of me when she was hitting me. Uh, one was white, but the other one was uh, Hispanic. I mean, it, it's a pretty involved story, but I think it has to do with some of my uh, wife's uh, personality traits, one of which is to, um, let's just say, she makes comments. She made a comment and a statement to the police officer or the deputies that got me arrested. And that comment was misinterpreted on their part, but interestingly enough, continued to be misinterpreted by the DA as well. And that comment was that we had fought 10 times. A little off topic um, from your first wife. Can you tell us a little bit about your second wife? I mean, I'm still technically married, but we've been apart ever since that. Yeah, about yeah, four and a half years ago. Um, I actually, we have two daughters. I have two daughters with my second wife, and they live with me 100%. Did you actually meet her in the Philippines then? No, I met her here, actually. Um, I was separated from my first wife. I was going through the divorce process, um, and she happened to walk into my apartment. And I, was sharing, I had a roommate. We had a little after party. And remember, I'm you know, 20, 28, 29 years old back then, so I'm in my party mode. So we had after parties. Um, you know, we go to the club, we have after parties or whatever. Um, yeah, so she actually walked in my front door and, uh, we, I wasn't really looking to meet anybody. I was going through the divorce and I had my kids. Um, but you know, we, it just happened. So, yep. And so we, uh, yeah, we have two daughters. Uh, my, our oldest is 19. She's a freshman in college. And then our youngest is 14 and she's a freshman in high school. So it seems like uh, this event actually triggered a closer relationship with your kids. Uh, why is that? Uh, could you explain? Yeah, I mean, in terms of being a provider, yes, from, at the beginning parts of it, but also I think more recently is being present and being emotionally available to them to help them deal with the issues they're dealing with. And throughout this whole COVID and everything else that's been going on, it's just been an unbelievable uh difficulty i mean it's difficult enough to have teenagers and teenage daughters uh when you're married but their mother's not involved it was them she she basically takes them to dinner once a week and usually she sends dinner she doesn't even come to the house so she doesn't see them on a regular basis um and then with the whole covid thing and the graduations that my daughter didn't get to have last spring and then starting college again uh, remotely so yeah but i'm I'm able to be here for them through this. And had this happened back before, I don't know that I would have been able to. So am I a better father now to these two? Yes. How long were you in jail for for the crime? Well, I, I mean, I, when I was arrested, uh, I spent two days in, in, in jail. Cause I heard that jail's worse than prison. Is that true? Well, you know, again, uh, I've got a guardian angel because... Um, one of the questions they ask you is if you have any medical condition. Well, I have type 2 diabetes. So they didn't put me in a cell. That's really odd. I thought people with diabetes are overweight. The 
big misunderstanding of uh but actually i used to be yeah i used to be fat i used to be 270 pounds holy cow man you did a really good job uh at the weight loss how are you able to lose all that weight i had to get healthy um my diabetes was doing bad things to me and if uh, my doctor basically said if i wanted to see my younger daughters graduate from high school i had to do something about it so i lost i lost almost 100 pounds um i'm now at about 180 uh I lost 10 inches off my waist. Um, I size 52 suit coat. Um, I had to give them, donate all of them because they don't fit me anymore. Um, but yeah. So do you actually think losing weight contributed to a better uh, health? Yeah, I mean, when you're physically in a better place, uh, your energy level is higher. Your ability to cope with things is, is better um, because you're not fighting your body at the same time. So what's interesting is I always, I, picture, I used to picture as I was losing weight, I pictured it as pounds of butter. So I lost 90 pounds of butter. That is a lot. Now imagine the stress that that's putting on your body, not to mention how emotionally and, and mentally draining that is as well. I tried to go to work every day and do everything. Yeah, it's, it, I, was, I was running into the ground, literally. Um, and I, I had to do something, and I did. And it was, um, it's been a saving grace, especially the more recent events. Okay, so with your wife, uh, since uh, you told me a little bit, do you ever consider in getting back together, or is that relationship over? I'm definitely not, not gonna work anything out. I mean, it's not actually. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm days away from filing, so yeah. So, are you in actually the dating pool right now? You know, I, I, I uh, it's not really on my mind. Although I am uh, reaching out a little bit more. Um, I don't know. I've, I've, I've met a few people. I mean, again, I mean, it just kind of goes back to what I reached out to you guys is, is, you know, I don't have a problem meeting people. Um, in fact, <laughs> I kind of laughed because I went on a Facebook date. I hadn't even put my picture up there yet. And I got liked by like three women. And I was like, okay, this is ridiculous. <laughs> you don't even know what I, I think you missed the part. I hadn't, didn't put my picture out there yet. <laughs> I only had my profile. <laughs> So can you tell us a little bit, how were your relationships in school? Did your, I guess, Asian-ness contributed to the lack of relationships in high school, or did you actually date a lot? In high school, most definitely. Um, it was, I can't, there's so there are a number of occurrences where, you know, the high school dances, right? And again, I'm not a shy guy, so I would ask a girl to that. Um, and I had uh, probably about three or four times, uh, they would say yes. And then I would get the call that they couldn't go through. Now, at the time, I was like, wow, that's just shitty. <laughs> Later on, I realized, I wonder what the real reason was. Was it parents maybe finding out who I was? Because, now remember, I'm a handful of minorities. And when I say minorities, I'm including black. So, we were all known. Like, I was known as the half-Korean. Um, the, the black kids were known as the black kids. You know what I mean? It just kind of was. Not not overtly, but more subtly. So, you know, now looking back, like, okay, were they told they couldn't go to the, to the dance with me? Or or what was it, right? At the time, of course, as a young man, you take it personally, like it's all about you and oh my gosh, you know, it's, um, but it didn't really stop me. Um, high, at college, I didn't really, wasn't focused on dating until um, probably that party that I went to with that friend where I met my wife. Um, I mean, I, I dated women. I dated mostly white women. Um, and really, I didn't, I don't know about if being adopted was the issue or was it the um, being Asian and looking more Asian or, or whatever, being known as Asian. Um, when it came to relationships is where I think the adoption stuff really creeps in. Um, and that's, again, we've kind of talked about that, the abandonment issues, the trust issues. And for me, was the, the not able to share myself and, and what was going on inside me. Do you have any close friends? I mean, I had a really, really close friend um, in college. In fact, um, she and her mom came out here for my second marriage. And she, she had a conversation with me one time, and she said to me, this is, and this is back in college, and she said to me, Sean, you're a very nice guy. You're a very friendly person. Everybody likes you. And 
yet nobody actually knows you. I was blown away. I mean, this is someone who really did know me. I mean, she she understood uh, to a point, but um, it's uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you know, you, I would get to a certain point with somebody in a relationship, and this is whether it was a friendship or whether it was a dating relationship, um, and I would stop. It was like it would, they would get too close, and the ones that did were really more because I just. Kind of well, okay, let's go. Let's get married. Okay, fine. There was never any real like, yes, you're the person I want in my life, and all, all this, whatever. Um, everybody else might be going to. Um, you know, I look at some marriages that have lasted through some huge turmoil, and I think to myself, I wish I could be connected like that to somebody. It seems all that traveling contributed to the reason why your relationship lasted so long with your second marriage. Is that correct? Yeah, I don't know. I, you guys, I, I, it is exactly why it lasted because when I stopped traveling, when I took a job to stay home more, um, and was more around, that's when everything went down. I was miserable all the time. Okay. Some of that is obviously just, you know, issues her side as well. But for me, it was at a certain point, I just didn't want to invest any more energy. And it was like I had, I just turned it off, but I don't know that I ever turned it on in the sense that um, it was a superficial relationship in the sense that we talked about things, but when we start, start to talk about issues or talk about, I mean, I mean issues like individually, um, there was no receptivity, but there also was a part on me that was like, uh, you give me any reason to not trust you and I won't, I'll stop. So rather than try to work through that, uh, we just, existed for many years so did you guys actually ever try uh marriage therapy at all uh, well and i don't know what the reasons for this one but no, i didn't find it beneficial only because you know in every relationship there's two sides but when you walk into a therapy session and you're the one that's supposed to admit all the wrong it's kind of i got to the point with a doc but i don't know that and that's an adoption issue or anything, but. So do you think abandonment actually contributed to the lack of uh, closeness with women and your ability to love? Um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know about adoption affecting it so much, but definitely the therapy was not very helpful at all. Uh, could have been the therapist. I mean, I've, I've had individual therapy uh, continue to occasionally, but um, yeah, that was not <laughs> You mentioned you stopped traveling. How long ago was that? Uh, yeah, no, I, I stopped traveling probably about, I want to say, six years ago. Did your job affect your relationship with your kids growing up? Yeah, definitely. Uh, with the, uh, especially with the two youngest ones, uh, and even more recently. Uh, so as a result of the arrest, and of course, my attorney suggested I file uh, no no contest, which you guys don't, <laughs> that's, that's basically admitting guilt is what it is. And that's what basically happened is um, now that I have a, a public record, arrest record, as well as a conviction record, um, I was unable to go back to working the level uh, the positions at the level that I was. So uh, my financial resources uh, depleted quickly and I am still struggling to get uh, a, a job that pays decent. So what kind of job do you actually do now? I, well, I work at uh, Human Resources uh, uh, for a nonprofit agency. It's actually uh, the same company I worked for when I first came to California 25 years ago. And I was able to get that job because the lady that hired me, um, I used to work with her back 25 years ago. Wow. So it actually seems like you learned quite a bit from your arrest. Did you... Did that actually affect you positively or negatively? Um, I would rather have done it differently. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, and there's also part of that that, I mean, in any situation, if you can't look at yourself and your actions and learn from it, you know, that's I, I, one of the things I try to do is, you know, I made mistakes and my idea is not to repeat them. 
You know, it's the same thing I do with my kids. So you're going to make mistakes, and that's fine. I'm not going to get upset. I'm not going to get angry. Just don't repeat it. If you know it's wrong, don't repeat it. If you didn't know it was wrong, okay, you're learning. That's fine. Um, another, another parenting philosophy I had was three strikes, basically. You know, first time you do something, you didn't know. Okay. Second time, you know, okay, I got, got to give you a consequence to teach you so you get the lesson. Third time, you did that shit on purpose, and now we're going to punish you. <laughs> so do you actually want to feel more connected with uh, CADs? I've had some great conversations. Um, I've had a lot of great first conversations. Um, I'm looking forward to having second conversations as far as um, dealing with some of these things. Um, but I'm finding myself reverting back to that trust and not wanting to be connected. Um, but I'm fighting it this time. I'm not, I'm not gonna let that happen. Why do you want to contribute to the CAD community? I think it's the being able to share my life story and help and hope that that someone that helps somebody else. Again, like I said, I, I've noticed most of the uh, groups that I'm in, uh, the members are either in their mid to late twenties. Um, not very many are my age. So I kind of take it on as a, an opportunity because I've been, making comments and suggestions and stuff a lot more that I don't usually do things on Facebook, which is, you know, um, but I find myself kind of drawn to being able to giving some of my perspectives and my experiences to try and help the issue that, and if anything else, just to help people learn to trust so that they can have meaningful relationships. So are you uh, ready to date again? I don't know that I've found that yet. I don't think that I've found that yet. Um, my my lessons being learned are really through the relationships with my children and being there for them and, and not, not walking away. As much as it would be something I would love to uh, be, I'd be so much less stressed. But at the same time, I can't let that happen. So... As far as relationships, for me, I haven't really gone that way yet. I'm not even anywhere near ready to uh, take on that challenge. I got to. How come your mom isn't involved with the kids? Yeah. Um, I've, I've forgiven her because I understand intellectually, but I don't know that I've forgiven the effects because they're, they're deep. And it's hard to decipher um, where they come from sometimes. So, I mean, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to try to gauge between is, I mean, there's just things that people do that um, are will cause another person to not want to be associated with them, right? I mean, that's just human relationships, right? Um, because we don't, we're not necessarily always going to get along with our family members. And especially at, at being adopted, I think it's a little bit easier to separate that relationship, like even my siblings. But it's not just because of being adopted, it's because they don't reach out or they don't do things as well, you know. Um, my mother and I probably were most damaged by the fact that she's not involved She's never been to visit me out here in California. I mean, you talk about the holidays. I haven't spent the holiday with my family in 20, 20 plus years. Started my family back in Minnesota. So your daughter lives with mom now? Her biological daughter uh, lives with her, has lived with her her entire life. She's 45, 46 years old. Um, and she's never moved out. So I guess they're close. <laughs> Why are you in California? Uh that boy you guys are good with these questions um i would have to say uh i probably wouldn't go back um only because you know my 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 family's here my children are here so um that would be my you know reasoning for it um plus you know my mom had to call and inform me she'd take me out of the will which i don't know why she had to do that but she felt the need to do that a few years ago Oh, wow. So your mom took you out of will? Yeah. 
And she, and she called to inform me of it too, which is awesome. It was an awesome conversation. Uh, what was the the reasons for that? Well, I don't know. I don't know how you're supposed to feel when someone tells you they took you out of the will. <laughs> I mean, I was I was floored. Well, I mean, my mom doesn't have any money, so I wasn't ever expecting anything. But um, it's like, why did you feel the need to call and tell me that? It's like that doesn't make any normal sense. Well, she's yeah, she's always asked for money. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have any, I don't have anything either. So, <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, wow. Well, so, uh, I don't know. Wow, oh, good. Why haven't you been more involved in the Korean adopted community? Yeah. Um. Okay. So, friends, like I, I'm actually in a the Hapa Facebook group. Yeah, I haven't really interacted very much with them. So, I uh, know. Um. I guess put this really in some good perspective for you guys. This journey of that I'm on right now, as far as the adoption side, is so new in terms of actual activity. It's stuff I've thought about my whole life. Um, and I've had intermittent opportunities, like, for example, with Mac, uh, being involved in helping form that group and start that. Um, and then out here in California, there's another group called AKA also known as, um, that I was involved with for uh, about a year. But every time things would get a little tough, as far as like it hit me in the motion side, I would, would back away and I, I disconnected myself. What are some of these topics that you avoid? Um, conversations, um, conversations around fighting your biological relatives, conversations around the effects that it might have on us personality-wise. Um, I mean, it was, it was fine for me as long as I was involved in the conversations as a participant who was listening. But when it got turned to me to talk, that is usually the points when I would start to back off and not wanting to repeat the potential situation where I'd have to share. No, because I'd probably break down and cry. <laughs> Are you more open to your children when it comes to your emotions? Yes, I I agree with that. Oh, oh yeah, I do. My two, the two youngest ones, I do now. I I always thought you had to hide that from your kids, you know. My two older ones, unfortunately, I was the strong, stoic father. So it actually seems uh, more common now that in the past males are supposed to actually keep things to themselves. It's kind of the stereotype, but it sounds like that actually doesn't make marriage work and it's not just about money. So it actually sounds like uh, you share your emotions uh, more often. You're more comfortable with it. Well, and, and I think in my situation, because mom isn't involved, um, you know, it, I can't leave them to their own devices. So I'm having to learn how to navigate some of these things. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I, I, but I agree. I think it's becoming more okay for men to be emotional. Uh, I think my growing up years, it still was not boys don't cry. Um, and, you know, just suck it up, deal with it, was the advice I got from many sources. You add those ingredients into the already mixed pot of not being able to trust and not being secure to share, you know, it's, it's a bad mix. It's, you know. So what kind of advice are you giving uh, to your daughter? Well, I, I literally had a conversation with my 19-year-old daughter today. Um, she had an issue this morning, and I told her, and I explained it to her, like, you've got to look at everything that's going on in this world right now, externally and also internally. The pressures are building. It's like a balloon. It's exploding. It's building and building. If you don't release some air, it's going to explode. And when it explodes, you don't know what behaviors are going to result from it. So we're working on a strategy now to release the pressure on that balloon more often. Because she'll come up to me every once in a while and just stand there and want a hug. I give her a hug. I say, what's going on? Talk to me. I go, it's okay, Dad. You know, so learning to talk about things and to feel those things is uncomfortable and as hurtful as it might be to experience it, it's releasing that pressure so that you don't have that eventual explosion. Because that's what I had four and a half years ago. I had an explosion of all the pent-up stuff 
it seems pretty cathartic. Uh, don't you agree? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, and it's, that's definitely there. And that's important because that's giving me the energy, if you will, to now deal with my, with Sean Lang's stuff that I've not dealt with for years and years and years. I guess they call it um, entering the fog or coming, trying to get out of the fog. Yeah. Oh. Do you have any advice you want to give our audience? I I think the most the most critical lesson I've learned is finding roots from where you came from helps establish. But to eventually become okay with where you are is, I think, the journey that is most important. And for some people, that might mean getting in touch with their biological family members. For others, it might be something a little bit different. You know, my son said to me one time, he goes, Dad, you know, you're the first of your family line. That's pretty powerful if you think about it. Okay, so now with all the things that happened, do you actually feel more whole now that you are more open with your feelings? Yeah. Or, or I don't have the restrictions of what already was. It, I think it's never too late to become whole until you pass. And so whatever age, uh, I mean, I guess I would like to find a way to reach out to people maybe who are like me, who haven't dealt with this for so many, many years, have been successful, have been able to live a good life, um, but, but always having an emptiness and finding a way to encourage them to go through this because it's tough. It, there's a lot of hard nights, definitely. But um, I, I know it's worth it in the end. Even having this conversation with you guys has been amazingly helpful for me, in a sense, to kind of put some things in perspective of what is really adoption-related issues and what are just issues. Um, and it, I think it's more about being a person and finding out who you are and being okay with who you are. So it seems as though money isn't everything. You know, you, you can live a richer life if you're not chasing money. Because the energy that you have to put forth to chase the money is harsh. So we try to promote services that CADs do along with their interviews. Is there something of a service you want to share with the audience or not? Well, I'm actually working towards becoming um, a life coach. And I'm working on moving back to where my base was when I was in college is in helping people. And in more of the uh, uh, emotional and psychological support uh, for people. But, you know, I, I wish I could. I'm very at the very beginning stages of this. Uh, uh, and definitely, I do have uh, mentorships that I do through Facebook, uh, both through the Korean Adoptee area, but there's also a Facebook mentorship program uh, where I've uh, been mentoring. Um, actually, it turns out a lot of international people. Uh, people from um, other countries that are looking for uh, life experience coaching uh, and mentorship. Um, I, I don't do professional uh, development coaching yet, um, although that was my former life, um, and I'm working towards getting back to that. So I don't have anything to promote right now other than you guys are doing a great thing. Um, so how did you uh, come into getting this role into being a consultant? You know, it, it's funny, you guys. Uh, one of my most successful things I did, I was an internal performance consultant for uh, a pretty large company. Uh, and that was where I got a lot of formal training in uh, uh, assessment. And um, and I did a lot of thinking about becoming um, like a motivational speaker, um, trying to incorporate my life experiences into that because I think that's where people relate. And when they hear about overcoming obstacles, it, it's a it's a motivational pitch that I think a lot of people like to hear. But my focus has been on not don't just hear a good story and get motivated for the day. Because one of the things in business you find out all the time, companies spend billions of dollars on trading, but they don't follow up on it. They don't follow up to see if it did any good. They don't follow up to see what the results were. So of course it all falls apart. You know, any development program is only as good as the results achieved, and you don't know the results if you don't follow up. 
So that's kind of going to be my take on the coaching that I do is not just, okay, great. We had a great coaching session. Okay. What did you do with it? And how long is it going to last is really the value. Okay. So thanks, man. We really appreciate you interviewing with us. I think we learned a lot about your, your effects of the adoption and on your relationships with people, your marriage and your friendships. I think we're about to wrap things up. Uh, it was a pleasure to work with you. Uh, thanks for uh, having this interview. Uh, you have a good one. I appreciate it. I hope there's some material here you guys can actually use. <laughs> All right. Take care, you guys. Appreciate it.